Welcome to Women in Product Marketing. I'm your host, Mary Sheehan with Adobe. And this week I had such a great conversation with Lisa Kant, the VP of Product Marketing from Zendesk. Lisa has had a non-linear path to product marketing, as most of us do, but I particularly loved hearing her story as she started in the film industry, got an MBA, and then started a family all while finding personal and professional success. I love her perspective on careers, which is that it's not just about climbing the ladder and getting that next title, but also finding how you can have value and joy out of everything you do. I also can't believe it, but this is already the 10th and final episode of season one of Women in Product Marketing. We are gonna take a short break and we'll be back for season two in just a few short weeks with some amazing new women leaders, and I cannot wait for you to check it out. And I just wanted to say that this podcast wouldn't be possible without the support of our listeners. So thank you so much for all of your support, your shares, and your comments. Hearing from you has really let me know what an impact this has made so far, and it's been an incredible journey. So thank you so much. Women in Product Marketing is proudly supported by Clue. That's Clue with a K, the competitive enablement platform for all product marketers. And this podcast is produced by ShareBird, the peer mentoring platform for product marketers. It is the place to deliver on-demand resources to help you with your product marketing. So please subscribe, share this with someone you think will love it, and give us a rating or a review while you're at it. Now a word from our partners at Clue. Meet Jen. She's selling her division's product to a savvy new prospect. And unfortunately for Jen, she's about to get blindsided. So that sounds great, uh, but your competitor just launched something very similar. Uh, How do you compare? Jen needs to move fast. With a few taps, she leverages up-to-date intel her product marketing team has curated with Clue. Later in the show, we'll hear more on how Clue helps reps like Jen win deals every day. Learn more at clue.com slash Mary. All right, let's do this. Hello and welcome to Women in Product Marketing. I'm thrilled today to be speaking to Lisa Kant, the VP of Product Marketing at Zendesk. She has had an amazing career running product marketing teams at Salesforce and ThoughtSpot before landing at Zendesk. And her superpower is in platform marketing. So happy to talk to her more about that today. Welcome, Lisa. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Mary. I am really thrilled to be here. Awesome. Well, one question I love to start out with every week is to understand what's something that you've learned lately? Something I've learned. That is a fun question. So I read in my spare time, which I have very little of, but I've actually been reading a lot of books on education with all of the changes going on with kids being home and really trying to learn about just the education system and how people learn. And I'm actually right now in the middle of reading a book called Range by David Epstein. Have you heard of that book before? No, I haven't, but I'm a big reader too. So I'll have to add this one to my list. That sounds awesome. Yeah, it's really great. And it's a fascinating study of the process of learning and whether you specialize or generalize in order to be successful. And it looks at folks like Tiger Woods, who, and I didn't know the story of Tiger Woods, but from apparently a very young age, when he was two, his father put a golf club in his hand and he's been off the races ever since versus someone like Roger Federer, 
tennis champion who apparently until a very late age, late according to the, the sports gurus, was just sampling a number of different types of activities until he eventually landed on tennis. And so it's just a fascinating concept to think about as I think about my own success and career and think about how I guide others who are trying to be successful in the world of PMM. That sounds so introspective. I really love that. Are you finding yourself fitting into one, the specialist or the generalist more as you're going through the book? For sure. I'm definitely a generalist. In fact, I'm a a career switcher. So started in a completely different industry. And even within my time in PMM, I've done, I'd say a variety of types of product marketing. So in general, think of myself more as a generalist um, than a specialist. That's fantastic. Thanks for sharing that. We'll add that to the show notes so we can check it out. So can you tell us a little bit about what it's like to be the VP of product marketing for Zendesk? Yeah. So maybe I will just start with a bit about the company. So for folks listening who don't know, I work at a company called Zendesk. We are a software company. So we build products for customer service and sales teams that let businesses deliver great customer experience. We've been around for around 13 years. We have over 160,000 customers and we power some of the most innovative companies in customer experience. I've been there for three years next month. Three, So end of February will be my three-year anniversary. And as you said, I am the VP of product marketing. So I lead a team of about 25 product marketers, ICs and directors of people who are responsible for partnering with our product teams and bringing our products to market. That's awesome. And we had one of our first interviews with your peer, Catherine Kelly, who is formerly from Zendesk as well. And I shared with her, I am personally such a fan girl of Zendesk and a lot of the B2B marketing campaigns that you guys do. I think it's such a clever approach and such a fun approach to marketing to B2B audiences. And you tend to have this more human approach to B2B than I've seen elsewhere in the Valley. So Thank you for the work that you do. I'm really <laughs> it must be a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome to hear. And yes, Catherine is such a huge friend of mine. We worked together for the past three years before she left. So a huge just, you know, mentor, honestly, someone that I've learned a ton from and that we continue to stay in touch. And I loved listening to her podcast. It was great. Lots of really cool insights. Awesome. Good plug there. And you mentioned at the beginning, but you have a really interesting background and kind of an unlikely start to product marketing. But as we've seen throughout these interviews, there is really no linear path. And you started at Universal Pictures in film acquisitions. And kind of speaking about books, there's actually a book called On Making Movies by Sidney Lumet, which I think has some serious parallels with product marketing. And it's actually one book that I always recommend to kind of budding product marketers to learn about product marketing because there's so many components that all go into it. So I'd love to hear more about that early role that you had in film acquisitions and about the journey from there to product marketing. Absolutely. So yeah, I mean, after I graduated college, I had no idea what I wanted to do, (laughs) probably like most of us. My parents were both doctors and I knew I didn't want to be a doctor and I loved movies. And so I thought, hey, I am going to move out to Los Angeles and see if I can get a job there. I worked at Universal Pictures. I also worked at the Creative Artist Agency. And it was one of those where like you love a thing so much, but then when you work in it, 
you realize that it's just not for you. <laughs> and that was my experience at working in the film industry, took some of the magic out of movies. And I realized that I wanted movies to just be a thing that I got to consume and not a thing that I wanted to build. At the same time, when I was there, online content was becoming a thing. Hulu had just launched Netflix. Like, I think I was one of the first Netflix users. I remember getting the DVDs every uh, week in the mail because I would like watch them super fast and return them. And everyone was trying to figure out the online content thing. And through that, I actually got involved in a startup that was trying to do online content. And in that process, I think I discovered the tech world. I was living in LA, but I discovered all of these companies up in the Valley that were doing such innovative things. And I realized that's what I wanted to do. So I went back to school. I got my MBA at the University of Chicago and through that process ended up uh, getting an internship at a company that I really didn't know very much about called Salesforce. And that's how I started in product marketing. That's amazing. Well, I think one of the things that's most important in your career is learning what you don't want to do. So that's great. Right out of the bat, you crossed off medicine. You said, that's all for me. I've been exposed to that. And then you had to dip your toes in a little bit, but discovered that making movies business wasn't for you either. Is there anything in that journey that you think you would have done differently? That's an interesting question. I mean, I, I think back to what we were talking about at the beginning of the podcast with the book Range. And I do really feel like those experiences gave me a breadth of understanding that I've been able to apply in my career as I've progressed. So if you look at my career, it's not a straight arrow, right? I think I've heard this sort of cliched analogy somewhere of like, you know, your career isn't really a ladder. It's sort of like a, a step stool. And so you're making steps and then sometimes it's flat for a while and then it's another step. And then maybe you go down a little bit and then back up again. And I remember early on feeling the frustration of why am I not farther along or I have peers that are more further along than I am. But I feel now in my current position that that learning and frustration has made me so much more empathetic to the people that I manage and I mentor, right? Because the reality is, especially now that we're all working, you know, for many, many decades, <laughs> that careers can't just always go up. And the goal shouldn't be about getting to the highest title. It should be about getting to a place where you can be incredibly successful, both professionally and personally, where you can really get a lot of value and joy out of what you do. And that may not always be at the place with the biggest title or the biggest salary. It's going to be at a place where you can really add value and, and have fun. I love that advice. And we've talked about it in a few different flavors on the podcast. The It's not a ladder, it's a jungle gym, or it's a game of shoots and ladders. So I think the step stool analogy works, you know, sometimes you're stepping off to the side, sometimes you're stepping up, you know, don't stress out too much about it. I'd love to dive a little bit into the MBA from your experience too, because I know a lot of people earlier in their careers are wondering, should I get the MBA? And I find it super interesting that you used it to springboard into a different industry and a different role. Can you talk about some of the things you learned that your MBA experience helped you to make that next move and, and land at a company like Salesforce, which is really great? Absolutely. So you know, I, and it's funny, I get this question a lot too. Like, should I do an MBA? Is it worth it? It's really expensive. And I'll say I have mixed feelings. I don't think the MBA is for everyone. I personally loved it. 
first of all, it's a great fun two years, right? You get to take two years, meet a ton of amazing people, have a bunch of completely irreplaceable experiences. Side note, I happened to meet my husband there. So that was really valuable for me and for him more so, honestly, but no. <laughs> I agree. But, yeah. <laughs> but just even taking the two years off to do some introspection and to explore other things can be really valuable. That said, if you know what you want to do and you want to just keep moving forward, there are many other ways that you can, you know, use a year or two years off to learn and you don't have to pay a couple hundred thousand dollars to do it. For me, the, the critical pieces of the MBA were the network, were trying different types of roles, both in sort of the like in-school experience, but then in also sort of the extracurricular experiences and Honestly, it's a lifelong learning experience too. So I'm still very associated with both the schools I went to, do a lot in terms of alumni volunteering, alumni activities. And so it's been a great network for me in that sense too. That's great. And that's that's the kind of advice and perspective I've heard from most who are considering the MBA. You know, it's not necessarily the right path for everyone, but it can be a perfect fit, especially if you're looking to build a network, kind of understand the next step, take some time to reflect and grow. So I'm glad you had a good experience and made a wonderful life decision, meeting your husband, (laughs) building your family from there. So that's kind of irreplaceable, I would would say. (laughs) Absolutely. I'd love to hear a little bit more about stepping into the VP role. So I know that that happened at kind of an interesting time for you during maternity leave, I believe. So if you could talk a little bit about how that went down and give us a little bit of introspection there, I'd love it. Yeah, absolutely. So I was incredibly lucky to have a manager and a leadership team that was just very open and respectful of the fact that I wanted to have a family. So I actually joined Zendesk coming back from maternity leave with my first. (laughs) And then while I was at Zendesk, we decided we were going to have another kid and I went on maternity leave. And it was at a time of a lot of change happening in our company and specifically within product marketing. We had a new leader come on board and the company was trying to make a pivot Also during that time, COVID happened. So actually I was one of the first people to give birth in the pandemic, which was a bit of an interesting experience, but my manager was incredibly transparent with me and we just started a dialogue and through that process of discussing coming back and what that might look like an opportunity opened up to consolidate some of the team under this new role of VP of product marketing. And they offered it to me and I quickly (laughs) said, yes, Uh, I don't think I had any hesitation. I was nervous about would I be able to take on this new role while managing having two young kids, especially during a pandemic. And they were incredibly supportive of that and of me taking the time that I would need to both look after the family and myself (laughs) in addition to taking on the new role. And so, yeah, I would say I was definitely anxious, but also really excited and really thankful that the company was so open to it. That's so wonderful to find the right cultural fit for the time of your life and the career goals that you're looking for. So that's awesome. Can you talk a little bit about being a mom and having two kids while trying to climb the career ladder? So I know you landed at a wonderful place, but what would you say has been the hardest thing about it in general? Yeah, 
a few things. So one, I will say that it took me some time in my career journey to find a place that was accepting. I think a lot of companies, especially here in the Bay Area, talk about acceptance, talk about diversity and inclusion. But when it comes down to it, the policies they have in place, the the maybe not policies, but sort of the the culture just isn't accepting of it, right? And everything from not having other role models or examples to just, you know, expecting people to show up at certain times or, or not really being um, open to having a dialogue about different types of work norms. So I do want to sort of flag that it's, I sought this out, particularly when I went to take on the role at Zendesk. In fact, I took a little bit of a sideways step, right, to our jungle gym analogy when I took on the role initially, because I knew I wanted to focus a bit more on my family at that time in my life. And so I sort of said, I don't need the the bigger title or the bigger scope at this point in my career. I really want to make sure I find a company that's going to be in it for me for the long haul, right, and will be open to me having a, a life outside of work. So that being said, I think just like any other activity, extracurricular activity you choose to do, um, being a mom is incredibly tough, right? To be a mom and to have a career. And I remember, especially in business school, lots of conversations about work-life balance and having it all. And I think those are a little bit, I think it's like a a misnomer, work-life balance, because it implies that there's a difference between your life and your work. And I think our current situation has sort of put this in stark relief, but like, there's no difference. It's all your life, right? And so you have to think of them as a connected unit, or you're never going to be able to create a space that I think works for you. So, you know, there's a lot of guilt. (laughs) There's a lot of feeling like you're not able to be in all places and you want to be. I've certainly made a lot of, of sacrifices, or I wouldn't even call them sacrifices. I've made a lot of choices. Right. And actually, I think even that shifting your mindset to think of them as choices versus sacrifices is really important to own your narrative and and to own your feeling happy about the decisions you're making. I really love that perspective. And that's so insightful to think about it as life versus work life. I think that frame and filter can help anyone make a decision about the next step. You know, is this how you want to be spending your life? I think that's really profound in a way. So thank you for that. (laughs) And I love, look at you. It's just such a profound podcast. This is awesome. But yeah, I think the point about the mom guilt is something we talked about with Gila Siegel at Clary as well. And she had a really good saying, which was that you're going to just have the guilt and you have to just find a way to accept that and be okay with it. And I think the choices framework that you've outlined is really great in terms of just dealing with that, because it's not something that's going to go away. It's a natural feeling. How do you make sure that you're making those choices to make it as painless as possible and to have the best life that you can have? Yeah. I mean, not to get super philosophical, but I listened to another podcast by a woman named Tara Brock. That's all about mindfulness and compassion, honestly. And, and one of the things that she talks about is, and I guess this is, I think this is like a, a Buddhist um, saying, but the, they talk about the fact that there are two arrows in suffering. And the first arrow is the arrow that creates the wound. And then the second arrow is the arrow that is feeling bad about the wound. 
And you can't control the first one, but you can control the second one, right? So you can't prevent wounds from happening. Like they're going to happen. You can't prevent the fact that you're going to have to make choices between being at the meeting or going on the exciting travel event or speaking at whatever opportunity and, and being with your family. Like that will always be the case, but you can change the way you feel about that. And so that's what I try to do. It is a work in progress. I am very much not like excellent at it, but I at least try to remind myself to not let that second arrow hit me. That's a wonderful perspective. Thanks so much for sharing that. Now we'll pause for a quick word from our partners at Clue. Not a day goes by in sales that someone doesn't ask how your product compares. Earlier, a friend Jen dug herself out of a tight spot with Clue, the product marketer's platform for handling all things competitive. Clue helps product marketing teams collect intel from coworkers, Slack, emails, and the web, putting it all into one place that's always up to date and giving Jen the superpowers she needs when she needs them. Listen in at the end of this episode to hear how Clue empowers every team across the org with insights, something we call competitive enablement. For any of you wondering how to put together a competitive enablement program or build battle cards that your sales teams will love, head on over to clue.com slash Mary. So I love that we have kind of talked about this concept of being a mom, being a VP, working on all the pieces, not feeling guilty. I'd love to hear just really tangibly when you came back from maternity leave with kid number two, what were your first 30 days like? What were some things that you accomplished at work or how did you try to set yourself up for success at work and in the non-work parts of your life, (laughs) in your life, let's say? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, first two weeks were like, oh my God, what have I done? Right. And <laughs> dealing with childcare and the baby and feedings and all of that stuff and the toddler running around in the background. But <laughs> once we got through that, I honestly spent the first 30 days and I know it sounds a little bit cliche, but listening, like talking to every one of the members of my team. Some people had come over from my old team and then I had a whole new set of team members and just really talking with them and creating a space for my leadership team to talk to each other. And the first big thing we tackled was actually a a reorg, which is incredibly scary for people. And oftentimes it's like, oh my gosh, is my manager going to change? Am I going to lose scope? How's this going to affect my career? But the company was going through changes and we in the product marketing team had to, we had to support and we had to figure out how to stay agile and how to align ourselves to our diverse stakeholders of product and sales and go to market. And so it was a critical step for us. I certainly didn't have all the answers and I was very upfront with my team about that. And so we spent the first, I think it was 30 to 60 days, like really hunkering down and brainstorming how we wanted to be as a PMM team, what we wanted to be perceived as, what our principles were, what we wanted to focus on. And I had to make some tough decisions, but in the end, I think we, we came out with a really good structure. We'll see how it goes, but I am very confident. I've got an awesome leadership team. I'm very lucky. And so that was sort of one of the first things. The next step now is the Like, how do you align the rest of the organization to the changes you've made? And so that's my big focus now is sort of 
taking our decisions and selling them, (laughs) representing them to the rest of the organization, getting feedback and getting buy-in. I love that you brought up the listening tour concept at a company you'd been at for a few years, because I think a lot of people approach it as, oh, I started this new role. I started at this new company. Now's the time for a listening tour. But I find that it's amazing how fast things change and how important a listening tour can be as often as you can do it, but, you know, realistically on an annual basis, at least, and especially with everything with COVID and you stepping into this new role, it sounds like it was incredibly impactful. Do you remember, did you ask people the same questions or how did you listen? What were you, what were you, how did you set up those different sessions where you're talking to folks? Yeah. You know, it's, so it was incredibly critical. And to your point, it's not, it's something that we don't do enough of. I think because I was stepping into the new role, there was an impetus for it, but I actually love your suggestion of every year. It's probably something to do every, you know, every period of time, because we are moving so fast and, and also new people are joining the company so quickly. So it's really critical. I I will definitely take that (laughs) as an action item (laughs) for my team, but to answer your question, you know, I can't say that I had a, a very statistically significant process for surveying folks. That being said, I really sort of showed up and did a lot of what's been going on the past, you know, like, tell me what's top of mind for you and how's it been working? I listened to a lot of venting sessions, right? Like sometimes our role as leaders is not to solve problems, but just to be a support structure for people. I feel like I give this feedback to my husband all the time, right? Like sometimes I don't want you to solve it. I just want you to listen. And I think that's the same thing too, sometimes for the people we work with that like sometimes there's, there's frustration you need to get out. And then actually in talking through that, you can solve issues. So it was a lot of, you know, asking about past time, asking what they were working on, asking about different stakeholder changes and through that sort of navigating to, to different outcomes. That's fantastic. Emphasis on the listening and making sure that people are heard and getting to share their perspectives, whether or not there's a silver bullet. (laughs) So what is next after PMM and VP of product marketing for you or for someone else in that role? Where do you see the career path going? Stepstool, jungle gym, or (laughs) otherwise? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting place to be because I think for, for so long, I've had an idea of where I wanted to go next. And I find myself at a place where I, I really don't know, which is kind of exciting. So I think running a marketing organization overall is something that really interests me. I spent a few years at a startup called ThoughtSpot and I loved the experience of just like building from scratch And so I think I definitely have another startup at least or two in me. And so at some point I imagine, you know, going and and sort of building a marketing organization at a smaller company would be so much fun. That being said, there's, there's a part of product marketing that is really like almost GM, like, like general manager, like, and I think it would also be really fun to go and be a GM of a business unit. So sort of a different, a different set of skills, right. But complementary to the CMO type role. And then there's the, maybe at some point in your career, you want to take a step back and you do the consulting thing. And it's so funny, Catherine and I used to talk about this too. Like maybe we'll start our own product marketing consultancy where we spend some time with our family. Maybe we go work from Hawaii and we just do the projects that we think are fun. So, you know, 
maybe all of them. And it'll just depend on which opportunity comes up next. But I definitely, in the folks that I mentor, try to instill that open-mindedness to different opportunities because you never know what's going to excite you. And sometimes it's the thing that you never thought coming that'll be like the best next opportunity. That's such a great perspective. And yeah, no one has the crystal ball. It's really cool that there are a lot of different options and they kind of range in seniority and flexibility and lifestyle and hustling and <laughs> working and getting your hands dirty or leading. So yeah, it kind of depends on what you're hungry for at that moment. So that's, that's really great. Thank you for sharing that. Let's talk a little bit about your product marketing superpower, which I understand is platform marketing. Could you tell us a little bit about what platform marketing is and what is really unique about it? Yeah, absolutely. So I think to talk about platform marketing, we probably have to take a step back and talk about platforms more generally. I think for the uninitiated, a platform, like the basic level is, is a foundation, right? And, and in software speak, software platform is software that is really a foundation, serves as a foundation for users to create their own custom software, their own custom products and use cases on top of it. So what that means then from the marketing side is that you have to both sell the potential of your product in addition to selling the functionality. Because unlike a defined app, which has a very specific set of use cases, your product can be used for anything but then it could also be very confusing and used for nothing, right? And so like how to actually sell this vision of something big and exciting, but that's also going to you know, move the needle and drive revenue and solve a specific use case is very challenging or exhilarating if you like big challenges. So it just sort of depends what your interests are, I guess. It also, one of the things that I think platform marketing certainly has the, the other areas of product marketing have this too, is you have a lot of different personas. You have builders, often they're developers, they can be advanced admins. You have sort of the end users who are consuming the product. You often have IT in the mix. And so it's just a really complex chain of uh, decision makers who are part of the sales process um, that you need to think about and, and how you message and position for all those different folks. For someone stepping into a platform marketing role, or wanting to learn more about it. Do you have any resources or books, frameworks, blogs that you would recommend that people should take a look at to learn more? Yeah, that's a great question. I don't know of any platform focused resources. I think the, the best thing you can do is probably find some platform products out there that you think are really, really great. I mean, you know, Amazon is certainly an amazing one, but there are all sorts of software platforms out there and start to educate yourself, take some training on that platform, check out the community and, and sort of see what makes it tick, what makes it work and look across a number of different types of platforms. I think it can be a little scary, especially for folks who may not be technically inclined or may not have a technical background, but I don't think that there's any reason that anyone um, who's interested can't just dive in and, and sort of learn by doing. That's great advice. And do you think that there is a certain type of product marketer that is a better fit for this compared mm -hmm. to others? I don't know if it's the specialist or generalist or technical versus not. Yeah. 
So, so because platform marketing often involves talking to technical folks like developers, I think we usually assume you need to have a technical background. It certainly is not my background. So I majored in literature, <laughs> completely a non-technical background, but I think you just have to have a level of curiosity and critical thinking skills, a big imagination <laughs> and just willingness to roll up your sleeves. Honestly, if you've got those things, you can learn the other stuff because Technical is off. I think a lot of times we use, we use technical to mask complexity and, and complexity is actually not good, right? Like we shouldn't be marketing complex concepts. Our goal is to take things that are hard or unwieldy and make them simple and digestible. And honestly, sometimes the folks who don't have that deep understanding are the best ones to help take that complex concept because they don't have that bias of education where they totally understand it. And they can look at something with fresh eyes and really put that, that lens on it. That's really helpful. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. And thanks so much for sharing your overall journey. We now have just a few rapid fire questions for you. I was wondering what your approach to mentors is. Could you share a little bit about that? (laughs) Yes, absolutely. So I know we talked about this a little bit before we started the podcast, but I feel like my whole career, people have always told me to have a mentor and it's not something that I've ever found to be easy. It's a pretty formal structure for a thing that I think is, is almost more just like having a friend, right? And in fact, the people, when I think back on it, people who have mentored me or just given me advice have been my friends and my peers who have maybe gone through something that I haven't gone through yet. So Catherine, who was on the podcast before, I absolutely consider her a mentor, even though we are at the same level. She's someone who I go to for advice um, and feedback all the time. Peers of mine or folks who maybe were in sort of my same circle, but a little bit ahead or behind me too, right? Like I actually think sometimes the people who you manage can end up helping mentor you or pushing you to new areas. Another woman you had on the podcast, Seema for New Relic, we work together at Salesforce and she's been a close mentor of mine and someone I often go to for for advice and feedback. She's definitely someone when I decided to step into the new role that I called and asked for advice on how to manage it all, but it's a journey. That's so great. Well, I love that you've kept it within the women in product marketing family. (laughs) Little did you know, but that's really great. Yeah. I find those kind of one-off mentors to be really helpful too. You are stepping into a management role, call your biggest badass friend who's a manager at another company and and get their recommendations. It doesn't have to be such a formal experience and asking someone, you know, will you be my mentor forever? So (laughs) yeah, absolutely. What do you think is one thing that's been the most important in growing your career? You know, it's hard for me to think of one thing that's been most important, but being put on the spot, I'd have to say it's some advice I got from my husband, which was about really trying to focus on what's most important for you now. And to be honest with yourself about that. I think sometimes I've struggled in thinking about sort of the next step because I've wanted to have too much, right? I'm like, well, I want, you know, the scope or the big salary or the flexibility or the this or the that. And you you can't optimize for everything. But if you can pick one thing, one thing that you're like, I know in this next role, I want this. I want 
more time really working deep with product, or I want to make sure I'm in a role where I have a PNL, or I want to be responsible for pipeline, like picking that one thing and really driving for that, because then you know you're going to grow in that aspect. And the other things will, will fall into place and you will get some of the things you wanted and you won't get some of the things you, you wanted. But we just have to be honest about what's really important which can be very hard because honesty is hard (laughs) and go after that. That's great. It's like a little values reset for each season of your life (laughs) to make sure you're going. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I love that saying season of your life because it really, like we tend to think in these big absolutes, like every career step I'm making is going to, you know, change my trajectory. And that's just not true. It's just where you're going to focus for the next few years. And if we take some of the like, grandeur out of it and, and just make it feel like, what am I, you know, what course am I taking next? Right. It feels so much more manageable. That's awesome. A couple more questions. How do you network, especially right now? Is that something you're prioritizing? <laughs> Leaning back, dreading Ooh. this question. That's okay. <laughs> yeah, no, networking is hard. I'll say also like for, for the folks who do the awareness tests and like MBTI, like I am someone who is an extrovert in my job, but an introvert in my like personal life. And so networking has never come easy for me. I definitely have to push myself to do those things. And I think what I found is that I network in air quotes best when it's more one-on-one, right? Or, or few on few. And so I think for me, LinkedIn has been huge in just sort of, you know, sending out the check-in notes, like, Hey, you know, reaching out to people oftentimes not when I need something from them, but just, Hey, wanted to check in and just see what was going on with you. You'd be surprised how much people like to talk about themselves, right? <laughs> but I think that that is something that I, you know, continually have to remind myself of. I'm, you know, definitely one of those people thinking, oh, so-and-so doesn't want, you know, what am I going to talk to them about? Or, oh, if I reach out, it's going to be uncomfortable because I'm just going to be asking for something. And I, I think it's so much better if you can create opportunities for just like small connections. And then those small connections add up. But that being said, it's not been my big focus, especially during the pandemic with the new kids. And it's, it's probably something I need to do a better job of. I don't blame you. But yeah, I love that advice. I'm kind of getting a little anxiety remembering going to conferences and you're looking around <laughs> the room. It's like finding the table to sit at at lunch when you're the new kid. <laughs> Totally. Where do I go? How do I talk to people? It's really, it, it produces a lot of anxiety. So the really pinpointed approach of reaching out to someone, having a conversation with them, I can definitely get on board with that too. All right. So why product marketing? Yeah. So, you know, I said before that it was something I sort of fell into, right? Like I, I didn't go after it. I, I didn't even know what it was when I started the role. I, I was fortunate enough to get my product marketing start at a company that honestly is one of the best in product marketing, in my opinion. And so I think I just fell in love with the diversity of the activities and with the energy and excitement, like the, the day-to-day work can be challenging. Sometimes it's a drag. Like I don't always wake up 
thinking that every single aspect of my job is, is something I love to do, but I got to tell you that the energy and excitement around product launches and bringing something new into existence is so fun. And that diversity of there's always a new challenge. There's always something different happening because you really are sort of this mini GM and business driver. And I think that is so fun. And so even as we talked about that, like the career trajectory and like the next step, I'm really excited to just sort of be in product marketing for a while longer and really just wallow in it. I love that. The diversity of activities. I've never heard it described in such a pithy, simple way, but yes, that really explains the role really well. Why, why it's so exciting for so many people. That's perfect. <laughs> Well, Lisa, I can't thank you enough for joining us. I know you have a lot on your plate right now, but really appreciate you making space for the women in product marketing. And I just loved all of your insights. And thanks so much for joining us. We had a lot of fun today. I really appreciate it and hope to talk to you again soon. Thank you so much, Mary. Thanks to all of your listeners. Really, really enjoyed being here. And yeah, I can't wait to listen to the next podcast. Salespeople want short, digestible insights. They don't want 17-page decks that are scattered across the web and who knows where. Clue makes it easy to create and deliver battle cards. In a pinch, sales teams can find them easily with all the insights they need on how to handle their competitors while working a deal. And with Clue, it's not just sales teams who want battle cards. The product team, customer success, and marketing, they all compete too. Now, everyone can compete to win. That wraps the 10th and final episode of season one of Women in Product Marketing. For all of you wondering how to put together a competitive enablement program or build battle cards that your sales team will love, head on over to clue.com slash Mary. That's K-L-U-E dot com slash Mary. And they'll set you up with some free resources like the Guide to Competitive Intelligence. We'll be back in just a few short weeks with the next season of Women in Product Marketing. If you're hungry for more, I highly recommend heading over to ShareBird and checking out the other lineups of high quality podcasts like Product Marketing Experts with the fearless Marcus Andrews and also the new Thrills and Chills podcast. Thank you so much for all of your support and catch you soon for season two of Women in Product Marketing. Mm -hmm.